The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Lectures on the Politics of God and the Politics of Man Lecture 15 Education and the Great Commission Modern Britain faces a serious cultural crisis. The Christian worldview that once characterised our society has collapsed. This is not merely a matter of declining church attendance. Something has happened at a much more profound level in the psyche of the nation that declining church attendance and many other modern trends are merely symptoms of. Christianity has ceased to function as public truth, that is to say as the religion that underpins and gives meaning to our way of life. The nation has converted to a new religion, and it is in terms of this new religion that people make sense of life. The nation has been de-Christianised. The worldview that governs our nation is no longer a Christian worldview. The worldview that governs the nation is secular humanism. It is the worldview of secular humanism that now functions as public truth in our society. And as the religion of secular humanism grows stronger, the Christian values that underpinned and shaped our civilization for over a thousand years are being relentlessly stripped away from the consciousness and life of the nation. The education system, the healthcare system, the family, the institutions of government, and strangely, even the institutional church, were all de-Christianized in the 20th century. In education, there is a strong ethos of secularism that deprecates the nation's Christian cultural heritage, emphasises a multi-faith approach to religion and promotes the acceptance of sexual immorality, for example, sexually permissive lifestyles and homosexual marriage, as morally on a par with heterosexual marriage. In the health system, abortion is now accepted and practised virtually on demand and euthanasia is in the process of being legitimised. In the realm of politics, the nation's freedom has been abolished and replaced by fraudulent human rights that are meaningless to the individual, the real purpose of which seems to be to disguise the increasingly totalitarian nature of the state. The married, heterosexual, two-parent family, the Christian view of the family, has declined drastically over recent decades and continues to decline with disastrous social consequences. And there is even an ongoing and relentless drive in the mainline Christian denominations to legitimise homosexual lifestyles as morally acceptable. The orthodox faith of the Church once received and expressed in the 39 Articles, the doctrinal confession of the Church, has virtually disappeared in the excessively liberal gospel that has been preached from Church pulpits for decades. Within evangelical churches, on the whole, things are not much better. Evangelical liberalism is a little out of date, perhaps, but it is liberalism nonetheless. 
There is in Britain now a settled and institutionalised antipathy to the Christian faith and its system of moral values. At times this attitude manifests itself almost as belligerence, as the state uses the police force to enforce its secular humanist doctrines of political correctness on society. For example, the public expression of certain Christian values and attitudes to morality is now likely to result in police visits and warnings to individuals that they should abstain from expressing such opinions publicly in future. Several such incidents have been reported in the media and even a Bishop of the Church of England has been questioned by the police for expressing his opinions on certain moral values in public. Though this latter incident was perhaps more significant for the fact that an Anglican bishop was prepared to make a stand in terms of orthodox Christian moral values than that the police tried to suppress the public expression of such values. Nevertheless, the fact that the police are increasingly taking it upon themselves to enforce this politically correct code of immorality demonstrates the reality of secular humanism as a religion that is willing and able to use the full machinery of the state to enforce its own form of religious dogma on society, namely political correctness. This is the secular humanist inquisition. In short, Britain is in the process of being decommissioned as a Christian nation, and the hard-won freedoms that the nation cherished for so long, which were the fruit of a Christian worldview and way of life, are fast disappearing as society rejects the Christian religion. This cultural decline, however, is not confined to the United Kingdom. It is a problem that affects the West generally, though to varying degrees in different countries. We are in the middle of a great decommission. And the irony is that the churches themselves have not only been complicit in this, but have often been in the vanguard of the process. For example, feminism, one of the most deleterious trends in modern Western society, was pioneered by the church. The effeminate spirituality, that is to say, the primarily emotional and sentimental understanding of the Christian faith, that has now come to dominate virtually all branches of the Western Church, was in the vanguard of the feminist movement. After nearly 2,000 years of the Great Commission, the nations of the once Christian West have gone into reverse and started de-civilising themselves. And we should not forget that the virtues and ideals that Western civilization has traditionally valued and espoused as essential for the creation and preservation of a civilised society have been the fruit of a Christian way of life and a Christian culture. The answer proposed by many Christians in the United Kingdom to this situation, this deterioration of Christian civilization, has been lobbying, that is to say, the organisation of protests aimed at inducing the government to stop passing liberal and permissive legislation and begin passing laws requiring Christian values to be upheld. There has been a great deal of money spent by Christians on the lobbying process and a great many protests have been organised. Attention has even been given to this lobbying activity in the media, though seldom from a positive viewpoint. The problem with this response to the collapse of Christian civilization is that there is no Christian consensus in British society to underpin it and give it any significant meaning for the secular humanist establishment at which it is aimed. The Christian consensus, the Christian worldview, has collapsed, even among Christians, and without a Christian worldview underpinning society, such lobbying is simply ineffective. 
There is insufficient support in society for the Christian view of moral order to make lobbying an effective way for Christians to influence government policy. Even the good results sometimes gained by this approach, for example, stopping the government from introducing a bad law or from abolishing a good law, are quickly overturned. This is what happened with Clause 28 of the Local Government Act 1988, the regulation forbidding the promotion of homosexuality in state schools, and what is now happening with euthanasia legislation. Initial success has been eventually overturned by the relentless onslaught of secular humanist ideology on the life of the nation, and as part of that, on the actions of the civil government. Consequently, Clause 28, despite a furious campaign waged by several Christian lobbying groups, was eventually abolished, and attempts to introduce euthanasia continue, chipping away little by little at an outdated Christian morality. In this ineffective process of lobbying, large amounts of money are wasted by Christians who seem to think that their duty has been done if they are able to induce politicians into making other people take on their responsibilities for them. Even those successes that seem ostensibly to be permanent, at least for the time being, are often made irrelevant by the fact that the Christian consensus, the Christian worldview, has collapsed. For example, it was established a few years ago that religious education lessons and assemblies in state schools in the United Kingdom should be primarily Christian in character. But this has had little effect because the religious education is often taught by people who are not Christians and do not understand the Christian faith. Christianity is taught, therefore, but from a secular humanist perspective, not from a Christian perspective. This is arguably worse than no religious education lessons at all. For example, I know of one case in which the head teacher of a state primary school told the whole school in a supposedly Christian assembly meeting that Christians believe Jesus Christ is born again every Christmas. This lack of understanding of the Christian faith, that is to say of the particular doctrines of the faith, is reinforced by a worldview that is anti-Christian in principle and in effect. Therefore, even where there is a commitment to the idea that religious education in secular schools should reflect the Christian heritage of the nation, this may well often translate into a nominalism that is meaningless, misleading or even worse. But the religious education lesson is not the problem in any case. What gets taught or mistaught to children of Christians in such classes can be easily corrected by Christian parents at home and it is not likely to have any significant effect on non-Christian households. The real damage is not done in the religious education lesson, or even in the sex lesson for that matter, but rather in the history lesson, the English lesson, the maths lesson, the geography lesson, the biology lesson, the science lesson, the social studies lesson, the art lesson. That is to say, across the whole curriculum and in the whole ethos and worldview promoted by the school, because in these subjects, the secular humanist theory of knowledge underpins everything that is taught, and the child learns to see the world and all things in it in terms of the secular humanist worldview. Therefore, the child's understanding of science, for example, is based on the secular humanist presupposition of the neutrality of the scientific method. That is to say that it is possible to come to a proper understanding of the facts without reference to the creative will of the God who created the facts. The pupil may well go home to Christian parents who will teach him that if he repents of his sins and exercises faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be saved from eternal punishment on the day of judgment. 
But if he imbibes at school the secular humanist understanding of science, that is, the supposed neutrality of the scientific method as conceived by the secular humanist establishment, he will probably never see the relevance of the Christian faith for the scientific task. In other words, when it comes to science, he will think like a secular humanist. The religion of secular humanism will govern his understanding of science. If he becomes a scientist as an adult, this problem will be magnified. The same principle holds true in every other subject taught in the school. The secular humanist theory of knowledge will underpin the student's understanding of the subject. Only in the narrow realm of spiritual things will the child learn possibly to think in a Christian way, although even here there is no certainty that what his parents and the church teach him will be orthodox. In all other subjects, the student will learn to think in a non-Christian way, that is to say, in a sinful, rebellious way, though he will not be aware of this, not aware even that the faith applies to these other areas and therefore that there is an obedient way to do science, history, maths, art, etc. In these areas, the Christian parents of children in such schools will have little success in undoing the indoctrination that their children get in secular schools, even if they are aware of the problem and wish to do something about it, because the school forms the context of the whole learning process and it is impossible to undo five days of systematic secular humanist indoctrination each week with one hour of Sunday school teaching or a few talks with the child in the evening. But sadly, most Christian parents will not be aware of the problem at all. They will most likely have been indoctrinated into the same world view that their children are imbibing and therefore the next generation gets no further than their parents while secular humanism pushes forward, aggressively conquering more ground in our society, controlling more institutions and shaping more and more the way people think about all things. At the same time as all this lobbying is taking place, there is little emphasis on the creation of Christian schools or the promotion of Christian homeschooling in terms of a self-conscious Christian worldview and curriculum. Christian education, both in terms of Christian schools and homeschooling, has been criticised strongly by many in the church, including church leaders and clergymen, and looked at with indifference and suspicion by lobbying groups. And there has been nowhere near the amount of money spent on this vital area as that spent on lobbying. The vast majority of Christians send their children to secular schools, and yet many are willing to support lobbying organisations financially. Even many of those who are most vociferous about lobbying government and protesting against government education policy in public will do so while refusing to take their children out of secular schools and give them a Christian education. This is astonishing, since lobbying government can only be effective where there is a Christian consensus that will underpin such lobbying and give it meaning. There is only one way in which we can create that kind of consensus, namely, by educating the next generation in terms of a Christian worldview. On the one hand, by sending their children to secular schools, Christian lobbyists are actually helping to create the very problem, a secular society, that on the other hand, they are ostensibly trying to solve by means of lobbying. If this seems absurd, it is because it is absurd. Before such lobbying can be effective, we must create a Christian consensus in society. This can only be done by changing the worldview that underpins our society. This in turn can only be achieved by bringing up a new generation of children who see life differently, 
who see life from a Christian perspective. This Christian perspective must be imbibed from youth, the generation of those who will form the consensus necessary to change society must be educated and generally brought up in terms of such a worldview. This is how secular humanists were able to capture our society. They captured the education system and as a result were able to change the religion of the nation by inculcating the new religion of secular humanism in the next generation in the schools. Christians must therefore withdraw their children from these schools and start educating them in terms of the Christian religion. And the churches, as an essential part of their mission to the world, must start creating Christian schools that will ultimately replace the state schools, if they are to win back the nation for Christ. Lobbying cannot achieve this, and is ineffective where a Christian consensus does not exist. It is impossible to create this Christian consensus in a generation without Christian education. Christian education, therefore, is the high ground, the vanguard, in our battle with secular humanism for the soul of the nation. Unless we are willing to bring up the next generation in terms of a Christian worldview, a Christian understanding of the whole of life, we will not win our nation for Christ. We may gain individual converts, of course. God will always save his elect. But we will not win our society, our culture, our nation for Christ. And it is the discipling of the nation that the Lord Jesus Christ commands us to pursue in the Great Commission, not the snatching of brands from the fire, that is to say mere soul saving. In the secular school, the child gets a complete worldview. The state schooling system in Britain requires teachers to provide for the intellectual, physical, moral and spiritual development of the child. In other words, it requires teachers to provide a complete worldview. Christian schools and home schools must do the same. The education provided by Christian schools and homes must not be a narrowly religious one, but rather a complete worldview. By educating our children in this way, we shall achieve far more than lobbying government can achieve. We shall create a generation of Christians that thinks, acts and votes differently. When we start educating the next generation of Christians in this way, we shall not need to worry about lobbying. We do not need lobbyists. Rather, we need Christian politicians. That is to say, politicians who think politically in a Christian way. And this is only possible where their thinking is done in terms of a Christian worldview. We need Christian educators, not educators who merely happen to be Christians. There are plenty of them. Indeed, the British state education system is awash with Christians, but this has had little effect on the system. Rather, we need educators who think about education in terms of a Christian worldview. We need Christian doctors and health workers. That is to say, not doctors and health workers who merely have saved souls, but doctors and health workers who think about medicine in terms of a Christian worldview. We need Christian filmmakers and media people, not merely filmmakers and media people with saved souls, but filmmakers and media people who think about film and the media in terms of a Christian worldview, and likewise in all other walks of life. And, sad as it is to say this today, we need Christian ministers, pastors and elders, who will think about their work in a Christian way, in terms of a Christian worldview, because very often today, clergymen do not think in a Christian way. 
They are often just as indoctrinated with the secular humanist worldview as their congregations are, sometimes more so. The church and the work of the ministry today are infected with all sorts of influences that come from the secular worldview that dominates our society. This is a strategy that will win back our nations for Christ. Lobbying will not achieve this. The future of Western society and the world is now dependent on how we educate our children. The task of providing Christian education, therefore, is absolutely vital to the future of our culture and of our civilization. Christians must understand that sending their children to secular schools is a practice that will help atheists to take over our society and is in fact the best way to repaganize society, that is to say to de-Christianize the nation, and not only to de-Christianize the nation, but the church as well, as is now only too clear from the state of the modern church as a result of the secularization of the education system. Christians need to understand that faithfulness to the Lord necessitates that their children be educated in the Lord, that is to say, in terms of a Christian worldview. Christian education is not an option for the enthusiastic Christian. It is a vital act of faithfulness to the Lord. To send one's children to be educated in secular schools is treason against the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian education, therefore, is where the money needs to be spent and the time and resources concentrated if we are to win the battle with secularism, not lobbying. But such education needs to be more than providing institutions where teachers are Christians. The ethos of the school must be Christian, the curriculum of the school must be Christian, and the theory of knowledge that underpins every lesson in every subject taught must be Christian, because it is this Christian theory of knowledge that should determine the worldview that governs the student's understanding of all things. Therefore, the difference between a secular school and a Christian school is not in the type and number of subjects taught. It is rather in the theory of knowledge in terms of which the teaching is done. This is what will shape the worldview of the teacher and therefore the understanding of the pupil in every area of study. Teaching is never a religiously neutral enterprise. One never teaches merely the facts but always at the same time a particular way of understanding or interpreting the facts. This may be quite unselfconscious in the teacher as well as the pupil, but it is always the case. Nevertheless, in a world that is dominated by secular humanism and its reputedly neutral theory of knowledge, we need to be self-conscious about the Christian theory of knowledge because if we are not operating self-consciously from a Christian theory of knowledge, we shall be most likely operating for example, teaching from a secular humanist theory of knowledge, even though we may be teaching in a Christian school. Of course, the secular humanist theory of knowledge is not religiously neutral. It is a religious perspective. Religious neutrality is impossible. The illusion of religious neutrality is possible, but not the reality of it. The point I want to stress here is the vital nature of the task that Christian schools and homeschoolers are involved in. But it is not sufficient to set up a school that is run by Christians with good religious education lessons, good discipline, no drugs, no sex lessons and think that these things on their own will make a Christian education. They are part of it of course, but the philosophy on which the teaching is based must be Christian as well. This means that the theory of knowledge in terms of which the teaching takes place in every subject must also be Christian. Religious education lessons, a lack of sex lessons and the discipline policy of the school are not the only Christian elements that make up a Christian school. 
the history lesson, maths lesson, geography lesson, Latin lesson, art, music and English lessons and every other subject in the curriculum must proceed from the Christian theory of knowledge. That is, from the assumption that the world exists and can be understood properly only in the light of the creative will of God. That only by presupposing, one, the creation of the whole cosmos by the God of Scripture, two, the fall of mankind into sin, rebellion against God, and three, the redemption of the world in the sacrificial and substitutionary life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, can we truly understand the world and all things in it. It is this philosophy that I want to stress as being so important because it must underpin and inform every subject in the curriculum and shape the worldview of the school, the teachers and the pupils. There was a time when this Christian worldview was dominant in the West. Even non-believers in the Western nations predominantly thought and often acted as if they were Christians and in a sense they were culturally Christian if not regenerate. Today the situation is reversed. The secular worldview is dominant because the secularists took control of the education of the nation while Christians failed to respond adequately to the challenge. As a consequence, Christians today, despite being regenerate and having a personal faith in Jesus Christ as saviour of their souls, often think and live like secular humanists. And sending their children to secular schools only compounds the problem for the next generation. We have, therefore, a church full of increasingly worldly Christians with each new generation that comes along. A church that is of the world, but not in it. This leads to a spiral downward to the decommissioning of the nation and disaster. And not only for the church, but for society as a whole. We must reverse this if we are to win the nations for Christ. The Christian worldview must be dominant in society if we are to fulfil the Great Commission. Without the consistent and dedicated practice of Christian education, the accomplishment of the Great Commission is impossible. The Great Commission commands us to teach all nations, not snatch brands from the fire. Christian education is on the cutting edge of the Great Commission. Nothing is more important in this task than the education of our children. Wherever Christian missions have gone in the world, they have taught people, educated them and educated their children. Education, along with the provision of medicine and the preaching of the gospel, has been one of the most important aspects of the Great Commission. And yet it has been abandoned in the homelands of the West. The preaching of the gospel and subsequent conversion of the nations to Christ has not been accomplished independently of education and medicine, and this is because teaching and healing are necessarily connected with the preaching of the gospel, as the Lord Jesus Christ himself made clear. Uh, see Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20, chapter 10 verses 7 to 8, and Luke chapter 9 verse 2 and chapter 10 verse 9. The divorce of education from the mission of the gospel, which is what has happened in modern Western cultures, has been an unmitigated disaster that has led to the great decommission, the overturning of Christ's last command on earth to his disciples. There will be no progress in the Great Commission in future without the reinstatement of Christian education in its fullness. End of Lecture 15 and End of the Series of Lectures on the Politics of God and the politics of man. These lectures are produced by the Kuiper Foundation, a charitable trust in England, 
registration number 327537, supported financially by means of voluntary donations from those who believe in the course for which it works. The Kuiper Foundation is not a business and it makes all its literature, films and lectures available free of charge on its website as PDF files, audio files and QuickTime movies. Nonetheless, in order to produce the literature and audio files we make available and in order to progress the work of the Foundation further, we need financial support from those who believe in the cause for which we are working. If you have found these lectures to be useful and believe in the cause that the Kuiper Foundation exists to promote, please consider supporting the Kuiper Foundation financially. You can make donations on our website at the following address www.kuiper.org forward slash donations. More information about the work of the Kuiper Foundation can be found on our website at www.kuiper.org under the About Us page. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.